Station. I can't get no call to action, but I try and I try and I try. Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, business and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp and I'm Giles Edwards. Today I've caught Connor Archbold and Matt Herbert. A couple of Kiwis turning the world of brand tracking upside down, Connor and Matt are co-founders of one of Australasia's fastest growing startups, Tracksuit. Backed by friend of the show Mark Ritson, Tracksuit is making brand tracking 10 times easier to understand and 10 times more affordable. Crucially, it's a simple way for marketers to track brand health, demonstrate return on marketing spend, and answer the question, is what we're doing working? They say, building brand grows future demand for products or services. Strong branding means acquiring more customers who will add more value over time and building a moat to safeguard against competition, downturns, or hordes of performance marketers. Welcome to the show, Connor and Matt. Thanks, Charles. Happy to be here. Hey, thanks, Charles. Nice one. Right, we've got seven quick-fire questions. We're going to start with you, Connor. Mac or PC? I have to go Mac. All right, Matt. All blacks or black caps? Whoa. All blacks. Just. Connor, Kaya, Kiwi or Silly Goose? Oh, Silly Goose every time. I love that one. Right, Matt, how brands grow or the long and the short of it? Uh, the long and the short of it. Brand building or future demand? Future demand, surely. Of course. Of course, of course. Uh, Okay, Matt, rather ridiculously, the hacker or the tracker? Oh, the tracker, but I'm known to be a bit of a hacker out on the golf course as well, so (laughs) here we go. (laughs) Nice. Okay, lastly, Connor, controversial one, togs or undies? Well, I'm I'm definitely togs with the dad bod over here, but uh, Matt Herbert, uh, I'd say he's more... More of a budgie smuggler guy himself. <laughs> Can you confirm that, Matt? Oh, no comment on that. <laughs> I'm a strong budgie, budgie, budgie smuggler fan. Absolutely. Nice. Be proud. Be proud. Listen, thanks, boys, for um, for joining us. So, so to kick things off, we always ask every guest about their path to where they are now. And we find that more often than not, it's, you know, it's rarely a linear one. So, Matt, can you start by telling our audience what was your first ever job? And then what was your first proper grown-up job yeah i was having a think about this just before and myself and a, and a and a couple of friends started a landscaping business when we must have been 12 or or 13 going through high school and and, and college from the the local community so i think it was a uh, entrepreneurial landscaping business um no no idea what the hourly rate was but we we're out there cleaning gardens and pools and chopping trees down and uh, that was probably the, the the first the first job, and then the first uh, the first proper job was uh, was a, was a couple of years labouring on construction sites. Uh, so that's that's where it all started. So fairly physical stuff. When you were when you were younger, did you have any intention to go into the marketing world? Like, did you study anything related to what you do now, or did you have different kind of dreams and aspirations? So I study I studied uh, law and science. 
the the, the reason I had no, no kind of no no intentions of oh, I wasn't exactly thinking about the brand and marketing space down at university I ended up getting a, a job and working uh, working part time for a radio station as a brand ambassador and so I think that was probably the first real entry into um, the world of of brand and marketing and uh, I had one of probably the one of the best jobs ever at university taking um, radio winners skiing up the local ski fields getting paid to host people there and so I thought this uh, this world of of brand and radio and and and, and brand ambassador was uh, was quite a good fit and so maybe maybe that's where uh, maybe that's where it started to started to lean away from the, uh, a, a professional legal career yeah that sounds like quite the gig it was fantastic you should hear Matt's radio voice give the give the people what they want Matt give them the, the ZM radio voice <laughs> no we don't need this we don't need this okay okay fair enough and then so so at what point did you did you kind of commit to to this world that you're in now and how did that happen was it literally that radio gig yeah so so, so going through going through university i had a i had an opportunity to to join the uh join the the early stages of the uber team as uber was launching into uh into new zealand and so i was boots down boots on the ground um getting everything set up down in, in, in christchurch in the south island this is before the regulations and uber had been kind of a a thing that was happening across Australia and New Zealand. It had a, a, a big brand and was innovating and, and relatively well known overseas. But it was a uh, it was a startup mentality, early stages uh, back when um, back when there was still taxis were the main way of getting around. And so uh, working with the launch team, um, being a part of the, uh, of the of the Uber launch and setup in New Zealand, I think that's that's really where it started to to turn to say. Um, you know, innovation, innovating companies of of industries that have been around for a long time. You know, brand led, uh, brands led, and also bring kind of that that tech and innovation to an industry. And so, that there um, works for a, for a couple of years before uh, moving across to moving across to Australia with a with another um, New Zealand company where Connor and I actually met seven eight years ago. Um, and that was a uh, that was a, a Snapchat management platform that we were working with, and so working with the likes of McDonald's and Red Bull and, and Coca Cola to leverage Snapchat as a new channel that was that was coming out. And so uh, from Uber um, to, to work in the world of Snapchat, and then both reconnecting with with Connor and, and back in New Zealand to take on this this world of um, brand brand tracking and, and marketing technology is is kind of the pathway that I've had over the over the last little while. Oh, I can see that now, that kind of consistency of innovation, that kind of startup and tech world. What about you, Connor? What was your first ever job and then your first proper job, presumably when you cross paths with Matt? No, well, I'm a little older than Matt, so uh, hence the dad bot. Um, but I I was a lawyer. I, I Well, sorry, my first ever job, I worked at a, you know, one of those like cheesy surf shops in a mall. You know, so that was that was quite fun. But I also did I did landscaping on the weekends, so that was I'd, I'd like to pair those both up. Um, and and then my first job, I was a lawyer, corporate lawyer. Did that for three and a half years. Um, kind of learned what it was to work really hard at, at, at things, and then thought I want to get into startups as people do. Um, and then found myself uh, helping launch Auckland's first accelerator program. And then through that process, met the team at the Snapchat management company and ended up joining and, and me and Matt now are working in the same office that we met in. It's been demolished and rebuilt, um, but it's on the same property. And that's where the, the tracksuit team is based now. So it's, it's 
come full circle. Pretty, pretty cool. Nice. So there's consistency of law in both your backgrounds as well, which isn't uncommon, I found, in, in this industry that we're in, particularly when it comes to startups. So that's really interesting. And so how did the, how did Tracksuit begin then? What was that based on? What were your kind of intentions with Tracksuit? When did you see the opportunity? Because I half expected one or both of you to have come some kind of almost obsessive bias towards the fundamentals of marketing, which I'm not suggesting doesn't exist, but I, I, I probably thought that it came through some form of classical training <laughs> uh, you might have had prior to kicking off. I, I think therein lies the the success of Tracksuit. And when we started, so Matt and I both um, kind of came back to New Zealand right when COVID hit globally, and we were kind of hanging out with um, some brilliant brand strategists and market researchers, um, the brand strategist James Herman and, and working out of previously unavailable and the market researchers at a place called TRA. So with those lenses, as well as me and Matt coming from like a MarTech and SaaS background, kind of com combining all of our strengths was really where the the idea came came up and, and how we sort of built the MVP. The problem that we were obsessed with that we were all talking about was the fact that consumer brands um, at that time were growing and kind of constantly hitting a ceiling. And we wanted to figure out why that was happening. And, and Matt and I were both really interested in that. We didn't have any answers. So we were talking to TRA and, and James about that problem. And so then we came up with the hypothesis, you know, under the guise of what gets measured gets managed. Um, we came up with the hypothesis that if we got brand tracking or top of funnel metrics into the boardrooms and C-suites and into the hands of founders, um, you know, modern consumer brands um, much earlier than they would normally be able to get it, then we might be able to blast through that ceiling, you know, alongside that essentially that was the hypothesis hypothesis that we went to market with. Turned out there were there were a ton of people that kind of wanted a, a beautiful, affordable version of brand tracking. They were marketers who were familiar with brand tracking, but they couldn't afford it. Uh, they also weren't interested in in hundred and fifty page slide packs you know, being delivered three to six months after they needed them. Um, and so they they were willing to jump on board and, and kind of snowballed from there. So, um, you know, we've subsequently launched into Australia and the US and UK and it's it's, it's uh, been a wild ride. There's, there's of course, a, a need. I mean, I say this as someone who, you know, is quite well known to run an agency advocating for brand and strategy and We've been running a, a, a series of events for years now called Reclaiming Marketing Seat in the Boardroom. And, and I think at the core of it is that understanding of, of brand value. But I wonder for you in terms of launching Tracksuit, and I'm sure it's not as simple as I'm going to kind of suggest it is in my question. But to me, there's two real big problems which you're probably faced with. One is just accessibility of brand tracking, which I think this then comes along and completely wipes that problem out because it is so much more accessible than historically has probably been the case for most businesses. But two, do you have much friction with marketers and businesses understanding fun the fundamentals and the need for brand tracking? You, you used the line there, what gets measured gets managed. And there's a sort of turn on that phrase, what gets mismeasured gets mismanaged. <laughs> and I think the metrics which have been, you know, you can't move for the, for, for the sort of digital, it's not always digital. And I need to be careful not to always seem to have beef with digital and, and you know, lower funnel type of um, 
activity because that's certainly not the case. But there are sorts, all sorts of analytics and dashboards available to us, which are pretty meaningless as soon as you look under the bonnet. I think it's a, it's not a case of, of one or the other. It's a, it's a case of, of doing both. Um, there's plenty of from a performance sales conversions. There's you know there's a whole lot of of data and and dashboards and analytics out there which plays a really important part in in growth of businesses. And as we looked at you know from a performance side to say you know that's that's covered. There's plenty there's plenty of tools out there. But when it comes to the uh, you know the, the concept of, of future demand or, or long term brand building, um, how do we create a uh, a beautiful simplified way of, of you know helping to, to measure understand and communicate the value of the brand play so long-term brand building as well as you know short-term harvesting existing demand if you read um, James Herman's uh, uh, book or on future demand highly highly recommend that it's just these these two concept breaking marketing down into into two concepts future demand building for the future people that aren't ready to buy from you right now how are you continuing to build you know, top of mind awareness and, and consideration. And then when they're ready to buy, then you're, you know, converting effectively through performance marketing and bottom of funnel. So, uh, you know, that's probably the, that's the problem that we look to solve is to say bottom of funnel, great, lots of tools out there, really important part to play. Um, and at the same time, uh, your brand building and let's, let's create something that gives that visibility in a, in a simplified common language to, to take that to the, uh, to the boardroom and execs and, and build confidence in, in doing both to build great businesses. Yeah, well said. I feel like, um, just quickly, I feel like Les and um, Les Burnett and Peter Field had to almost spend a year or two post long and short of it being released of reminding people that there's an and in the title, not an or. We've always liked the metaphor watering the tree and picking the fruit. And I think um, metaphorically, at least, that works with my very simple mind. <laughs> We've been very lucky to ride a, a wave of change in marketing that's happening. And, and it's totally reasonable for brands over the last 20 years to have um, absolutely like over-invested in digital and conversion because you could build a, a, a billion-dollar business doing this. And and it's, you know, over the last five years since iOS 14 is, has kicked in and the, the cookie apocalypse, as people say, <laughs> there's been a sea change of people looking to say, oh, yeah, how did you build businesses before the digital marketing revolution? And, and, and we're going to start doing that. Um, and fortunately you know, we've been able to jump in with a tool that matches their expectations for, you know, measuring and understanding the top of funnel. Um, and they need tools to measure both now. And, you know, like Ritson says, you know, you got to have both of them. And, uh, and, and so we're, we're here to provide the solution to that top of funnel measurement. So and can you, Connor, can you summarize how, in fact, I'm going to put a, a great quote that's, that's lived on our website for years from the late, great Jeremy Bullmore. And it's from his, one of the famous talks he gave, uh, the uh, Posh Spice and Personal talk. And he says that brands are fiendishly complicated, elusive, slippery, half real, half virtual things. When CEOs try to think about brands, their brains hurt. So what type of measures do you provide to CEOs and the wider businesses to help them understand these fiendishly slippery things? I, you know, I think like we're not we're not reinventing what brand tracking is, um, and it's part of the reason that we've grown so fast. So we're still providing those same metrics that a lot of people are familiar with. Like, you know, awareness, consideration, preference, your brand sentiment. You know, what people think and can feel about your brand. Um, 
but the way that we're doing it is, you know, in a well-designed and usable way and everyone in the business can log in. We have some customers that have 30 to 40 logins in their business across agency, creative teams, media buy teams, board, C-suite. And I think that by making it more accessible, the first problem that you alluded to, Giles, you know, the accessibility, by making it more accessible, um, it sort of it sort of finds its way into conversations and then brand is at the forefront of people's minds. Um, it may not happen in the first month or two of using TrackSuit, but if you're bringing you know, awareness into every meeting, then you start paying attention to it over time. And, and that's what's important. Yes. And also you then kind of avoid that, you know, the horrible, I've, I've seen in, in our research for today's show, you talk really encouragingly about having a common language and whether that is something that is made available through tracksuit or even things like, you know, Mark's mini MBA courses where suddenly you've got thousands of marketers coming out at the other end all using the same terms. And I think semantics causes so many issues in this this industry. So for you to not only make brand tracking accessible, but to make the terms used in understanding the value of brand and the significance of brand to a business available to everyone from C-suite to, as you just said there, 30 to 40 plus logins within a business is only going to make for a better business, I imagine. I think that's really well, really well covered, and 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 absolutely the the common language. And I think this comes down to the concept of you know it's it's very hard to sell to someone that's never heard of you. And so, really understanding in a simple way what's the job to be done as a brand. Do more people need to know about us? Once people do know about us, that's great. What are they knowing us for? What are our unique selling propositions? What are our um, points of difference? How how commercially are we growing these these businesses? And being able to do that, and I think also looking at not looking at your own brand um, or, or your business in a siloed manner as going, you know, how do we actually compare to our competitors? You know, if we think we're growing and we're in our niche, we know our brands inside and out. We think everybody knows about that. But when you go out to the market and it's saying, where do we look like? We're growing, you know, 10%, 12%, but everybody else is, you know, growing at 20, 30, 40%, then there's still a job to be, job to be done. And I think that there becomes a really effective way of saying what's happening in the market where are we performing and and, and then how does that compare and we can have some really great strategic conversations that then makes it down you know ultimately to to the bottom line and the and 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 the confidence and investment in the right areas um, because we're tracking it because we're able to prove it and you know drive drive strategy with the right tools and measures in place from the top right through organizations one thing that's amazing is you know we work with a lot of i guess early stage growth brands. And one of the things we constantly see as they're embarking on their first brand tracking read is they've been in a bit of an echo chamber by optimizing the bottom of their funnel and only talking to their customers and like a very niche ICP, uh, ideal customer profile, which you do as you're optimizing that bottom of funnel. and by lifting out of that echo chamber and seeing like what people think about them versus their competitors and that maybe their awareness is only at like 10% in their category and they would have assumed that it was at 50 because they've just been hearing these same messages kind of back to themselves after repeating them over and over again to their customers. People are quite shocked. And then they're, and then they, they're doing things like 
you know, doubling their budgets and investing that in out of home or, or, you know, novel media for them and focusing on increasing awareness because they tend to have very good conversion through the file awareness down to preference, say, um, because everyone that knows them loves them because they've done such a good job of that. But the job to be done when they're at that 10% mark is to, is to start increasing awareness and then build brand love amongst new audiences and then slowly convert those audiences in, into loyal customers um, who prefer them as well. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. I think your point on um, the competitors are so significant because people do become so insular in understanding their brand. And without trying to make this a weird Jeremy Bullmore kind of fan fetish show, there's, there's another line of his, which I've always loved, which is along the lines of a brand success is dictated as much by its competitors as it is by itself. So that significance of understanding your performance is always relative to the to the competition. Um, in terms of competition and, and tracksuits own competition, how much of that is other research businesses and, and potential suppliers and how much of that is I don't know ignorant seems like an unfair word to use but I think it's used with the best intention of people not truly understanding that they can measure their brand as well as you know historically we might have all believed we could one, one of the interesting things that we saw when launching tracksuit was that we were serving a, a part of the market that just did not have access to brand tracking and brand and top of funnel metrics. And so they were about 50% of our customers were doing an annual dip, um, which pe for people that don't know, that's like, you know, a one-off thousand person sample, uh, you know, usually maybe gen general population sample to find out if people are aware of their brand and what they think about it. Um, and, and that's, that was basically what 50% of the customers doing the other 50% were not doing any sort of market research. Um, and so, you know, we were we were opening up the the market research category, the brand tracking category, to a whole new um, group of customers and 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 people who are excited about it, which is great. In terms of our like competition, you know, there are the big market research houses, but we honestly we don't come up against against them that much um, with the people that we serve. And when we do, it's it's a you know. Do you need two hundred thousand dollars worth of very bespoke market research, or do you want a you know best practice standardized version that costs twenty thousand um, dollars? And that that tends to be a, a like there's a clear line there, and very large enterprises will choose one way, and and everyone else will choose the other way. And do you find talking about brand building as future sales, or even future demand? Do you think that's a better way of articulating it? And have you seen more success from that positioning? Yeah, I think there's. Um, I think it's going down to this to this concept of of you know it's 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 hard to sell to someone that's never heard of you. And so there's there's two jobs there's there's two jobs to be done. And, and looking at, um, I think James speaks really well to the to the idea of um, of who who has bought a bought a phone in the last week or might be buying a phone in the next month. And at any given time, that might be you know five percent of the of the total market. And so, what are you doing to the ninety five percent of the others that at some point over the next couple of years are going to be coming into that buying decision? And so, how are you staying? Uh, how are you staying top of mind? How are you becoming you know familiar uh, and and more familiar so that when people are ready to buy and you can optimize that that sale and conversion, you've got a better chance of doing that. And I think 
that there, you know, simplifying it down, breaking into two concepts. What are we doing today? What are we doing tomorrow? And that both ways, it has a, you know, it has a great impact. The way that you build your brand is going to impact performance and up and conversion metrics uh, down the track as well. And so I think, you know, the, this this language um, and and these concepts, trying to simplify it down to the, the fundamentals of, you know, how are we going to continue to build long term sustainable brands is is resonating really well from from what we see and, and something that we also want to keep keep really close to is to saying what is being understood what's not being understood how do we simplify it down but how do we also uh you know have a have a big impact on, on creating um great brands build build you know even better businesses and so i'd say yeah early early days new concepts but good traction and uh and and resonating well at this stage anyway what are the key talk tracks that we saw at um at the Can Lions Festival about a month ago was um, the CMO speaking to the CFO and and sort of how to talk budget, especially in a downturn um, like we're seeing globally right now. And, you know, we've written a lot of blogs and, and talked a lot about, um, and we send everyone that signs up to Tracksuit a, a future demand book. And like the idea of talking as a, as a CMO or a marketer, talking to the board or C-suite and, and calling it future demand instead of brand equity everyone should just try it because it seems to work like it just it's it's language that people understand that they can get around and um, and yeah it's it's been wildly successful for for you know creating interest in that pool of the 95 percent who aren't ready to buy right yeah i think there's um i think there's always i mean in the time of running gasp so we we're, we're 14 years old now and i remember in our early kind of years there was such a strong perception of marketers being the coloring in department and it wasn't helped by you know marketers themselves and and how we would talk as a you know broadly speaking as an industry it, we almost set ourselves up to be seen as being quite fluffy and whilst there's a lot of value and significance of brand awareness, instead of saying brand awareness and calling it future sales or future demand, whatever it might be, or even, you know, value or business value or whatever it might be, just using metrics that CFO would understand is so significant. I don't remember which of the courses it came up in, but I do remember I do remember Mark Ritson saying something along the lines of sales and marketing are the same thing separated by time. And I think that there's, there's ways of articulating what it is we do as an industry that will help people understand and actually respect what marketing delivers. Um, and I think that actually taking some accountability for that as an industry rather than, you know, blaming businesses which might might be more sales orientated or product orientated is a it's a good place to start. And the fact that Tracksuit makes that possible is, is huge. Matt, you talked about, it, or at least referenced the fact that it's early days. What what does the future hold for Tracksuit? Is it as simple as just being able to serve more business types and sectors? Because you're predominantly B2C at the moment. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I think we, we look at what what we're ultimately building is, is to to help drive strategic growth conversations of the best brands of today and tomorrow and that's the that's what we're building tracksuit for and that's what we always always look at and refer back to is to, is to say how well are we are we doing that i mean the last two years have have scaled and, and found really good product market fit and uh and been scaling well across australia and new zealand and um after raising our our, our first seed rounds at the beginning of this year where you referenced uh mark Ritson, uh, and, and a few other great partners have come in to, to allow us to, you know, bring it to the Northern Hemisphere and to say, you know, the, the immediate focus is to, to bring this into the UK and the US and to start to 
really understand and scale the the offering that we're um that that we're doing and uh and then ultimately get on that journey to um to you know supporting working and 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 driving those um those strategic conversations um i think there's uh, no um no small task launching launching two markets at the same time but we're you know we're feeling really confident with the approach that we're taking with the brands that we get to work with the, the brand leaders that are uh, all involved in and you know ultimately you know opening up the world of of consumer brands of, of market research and and you know getting this confidence um to the board level to the to the cfo level so the immediate job is uh is is the is the us and the uk uh and then from there grow the team out working with great brands uh and you know and ultimately uh ultimately continuing that on nice 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 and is it realistic at all to think that you could become a b2b products of sorts or is that just squeezing your sample sizes too much right right now right now we're focused on uh on on b2c companies and that consumer place i think market research is is huge and there's so much that goes into it and we've been quite intentional about what we say yes to and what we say no to and 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 that's being you know the best brand tracking um and and brand building you know partner in the consumer space hey look down the track who knows we'll keep a close eye on that but right now you know, being really focused and, and, and doing what we do best and, and making sure that we're, you know, continuing to narrow down, focus on, on what we're doing as, as best we can. So uh, no, to, no to B2B uh, in, the, in, the, in the immediate uh, next few months. Uh, but that's one thing that we're, that we're looking at is to say, you know, how do we make sure that we're solving genuine problems with, with great solution? Today's podcast is sponsored by No One. Whether you need research, brand, or strategy, no one brings you absolutely nothing. With simple templates and drag-and-drop tools, you can have a great-looking nothing in minutes. If you have a real marketing challenge you'd like to chat about, though, just email giles at gasp.agency and use the offer code giles to get 10% off nothing. Brought to you by no one. I think I'm going to move to listener questions because I think if we do so now, I can get three in, which is one better than normal, so... Asking the general public for their opinion, be it on Brexit or boat names, is notoriously fraught with danger. But that's not stopped us asking, so we're going to have three. I'm going to start with Evie. Evie says, New Zealand has often been missed off world maps. What Kiwi brands, people or agencies are putting New Zealand back on the world marketing map? One that comes to mind immediately is is the the record growth of D2C over the last... 10 years or so and and you know all birds in the uh in the in the shoes in the in the shoe space and, and responsible business building and, and the approach that they've taken um uh, it's probably been been one that we keep a you know a good a good eye on and i think is um is growing in a, in a unique and, a, and, and distinct way i think james herman is is doing a lot um and his agency previously and available is is making waves around the world um with things like future demand and you know he didn't Word, like seven different talks that can and you know he's he's um becoming a, a very powerful thought leader and he's he's got his course um the master of masters of advertising effectiveness and you know he's he's changing the game and and doing that from new zealand which is really great um special special group um we're moving into their office relatively soon which we're really excited about but they they won a grand prix at, at can um you know, last month, and and we're really close to them. And uh, Maddie's um, partner, fiance, works there, um, which is pretty cool. But uh, they're, yeah, they they're doing great things on the world stage as well. Um, 
I think Kiwis tend to punch above their weight uh, in in the brand and marketing space and, and creativity. Um, so yeah, nice, good, good, good. Uh, question two is from Paul. Paul asks, uh, Tracksuit is the latest of a growing group of businesses championing brand building, aka future demand. But what is it doing itself as a business lower down the funnel to deliver short-term revenue to fuel growth? Yeah, I think that's a, a, I think the question from from Paul coming there, and I think right from the start as we as we founded and created Tracksuit, um, we bootstrapped right from the uh, right from the outset for the first for the first eighteen months, and I think one of the things to to fuel growth that we wanted to do, and and, and what Connor and I were doing in the in the early days is finding those initial customers that were, you know, buying, um, buying into and, 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 and fueling the initial growth of, of it allowing us to build and really having that product market fit with the sales, you know, sales led approach that allowed us to, to find those first 10 customers that then, you know, helped us build case studies and, and, and then grow, um, grew out from there and, and you know, to go from, from 10 to, to 250, uh, brands that we work with, uh, across four markets. Is to take a uh, you know a really SaaS uh, or software as a service approach compared to I'd say uh, I can take the consultancy led model where we are we're out we're connecting with the best brands uh, we are you know we're building one at a time uh, making sure that we're building tracksuit in a in a responsible way keeping that bootstrap mentality around uh, investing smartly in the in the right areas but making sure that uh, what we are doing is uh, is, is scaling uh, in a uh, in a way that allows us to, to maintain, grow the team out, bring brands on, and and have a uh, and have a solid business underneath. One fun thing to add in that um, people always find interesting: we Matt and I have always been incredibly revenue focused, purely because we believe that the pressure cooker of having to find revenue in order to grow your business um, creates really good product market fit. And you know, if you raise money too early from venture capital or you know you have money that isn't customer revenue um it can you know we sort of call it vc validation like you you believe that you've got product market fit because there's money in the bank yes even though you you don't um and and then you start kind of falling into that trap of pouring money into conversion and and bottom of funnel without actually knowing that it's going to work um and so we we kind of did the opposite we went out we made a list of of 80 brands that we thought we could talk to in New Zealand. We had meetings with 68 of them and 11 of them ended up signing up as customers before we even had a product. So we basically said, hey, come on board. We'll deliver something to you in a month that will look like this. If we don't, we'll refund you. And 11 of them signed up. That allowed us to fund fund a, a developer to start building it um, through our partner, TRA. And, and then we built the MVP of the product and and um, and then signed up more customers a few months later and more after that. And so we've always been building alongside listening to our customers and making sure that what we're building matches what they need. Really smart. Yeah, great answer both. It's I always enjoy talking to um, startup owners because they just have their finger on the pulse and, and, and actually being frontline forces you to actually apply part of what you're preaching but actually really do it there's 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 too few ad agencies that advertise anymore and it's something that there's um a wonderful chap david moore 
or Elroy the Cat, as he uh, prefers to be known, who is sharing uh, a huge archive of old ads from ad agencies. And it's important that, you know, you practice what you preach. So actually, it's a really good question from Paul, given that your focus is on measuring brand is, well, what do you have to do as a business from, you know, lower down the funnel to actually grow that business? Our last question. So, <laughs> so we're taking it down a gear or two here, but I love this question. Quite ridiculous, but also the best drinking game I've ever heard of. So this comes from Beth, and Beth says, My best mate's Kiwi boyfriend told me about his favourite drinking game. He calls it possum. The rules are simple. You all get in you all get in a tree and drink until you fall out. <laughs> it felt like the most Kiwi thing I've ever heard. What's your favourite story from growing up in New Zealand? Well, I can confirm, uh, I will confirm or deny that I played possum in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like a great game if I had ever played it. Um, So I moved to New Zealand when I was 11 years old from the US. and, And my kind of fondest memory was like, from that stage, moving here, um and like realizing that people don't really wear shoes um kids in particular don't wear shoes and and you you know you don't really have to wear shoes to school um i wore like sneakers to my first pe class and the teacher told me off because i was going to stand on the other kids feet um and so (laughs) i was just this like young american kid who was completely blown away by just like i don't know this this culture of like getting amongst it and and going out and playing in the grass and in the mud and i don't know it was it was novel and awesome and i loved it um and so that was my my fond memory obviously there was a question around um around the all blacks and rugby is obviously yeah synonymous with with the new zealand uh culture and and i think you know innovation and uh and, and solving problems and, and garages and i think looking at high school days i think one of the uh one of the best innovations uh, that I saw combining uh, combining the back the backbone of sport in New Zealand being being rugby and, and innovation was our uh, our high school uniforms had uh, had velcro buttons so they were buttoned up shirt they looked like they had buttons but underneath it was just actually velcro that went all the way down so that at lunchtime playing uh, playing tackle rugby and uh, and and rugby out on the field you know as those shirts were being ripped. Uh, we didn't have to go back and try to get them sewed back up. Uh, every now and every every now and then, uh, someone would have a proper shirt with buttons, <laughs> and uh, and at a school at a school of of two and a half thousand uh, a thousand boys running around on the field, uh, you could always hear when someone had the buttons. They would they would rip, they would pop off, and you it was like hearing a pin drop. You could you could and everybody would stop, turn around, and say. Uh, that kid's gonna have have to change the shirt and velcro buttons on school shirts. I think is uh, is, is a fantastic piece that kind of summarises the the childhood growing up uh, in in New, in New Zealand. What an awesome awesome thing! I love the idea that every now and then a kid turns up with real buttons, like ah, an, an aristocrat. Yeah, you knew it, and you could hear it right across <laughs> oh, the field. Oh, that's wonderful! I love that. Oh, that's perfect. Brilliant. Um, the final part of the interview then, Connor and Matt, is our four pertinent poses that we put to all of our guests. So number one is what advice would you give to your younger self? So Connor, do you want to take that one first? Probably buy Bitcoin even though I, you know, 
hate to admit it, but that would have been nice to do. Yeah, there was a window of time, wasn't there? Nice. That's not come up before. Matt, any advice for your younger self? I, pro- I think I think I'd probably just say keep saying yes to to the opportunities and 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 who knows what it comes from, but just but just trust it. And yeah, I was, I was having a think about that before coming on. I think just say yes, say yes, capture those opportunities, and and keep chasing them, and uh, and and not really knowing where they were going to end up. But it's yeah. working out all right. That's nice. There's a, there's a kind of theme. I don't think that's come up, you know, word for word before, but there is a theme that tends to come up, which I find really encouraging. And I know that people, we get, we have a lot of uh, listeners who are studying, um, whether it's the early stage of their career or they've gone back to university or whatever it is. And I think with that comes a huge level of anxiety about there being a right way to be or right way to behave to get their career off the ground. And I think there is that kind of, element of serendipity and luck that comes with just being open to opportunities so yeah saying yes more to opportunities i think that's a that's a great piece of advice uh number two if you could banish one thing from the industry what would it be and why i think that thinking that marketing departments and coloring in departments might be quite a good one that you touched on earlier there giles uh, do you think that's happening? Do you think that's slowly happening? I mean, I, I think um, I think maybe Connor, you you hinted earlier that you think that there is a the change is happening, like the boats kind of changing. And I and I feel like certainly here in the UK, for you know, speaking as an indie, small indie, we've certainly seen that it's not happening as quickly as I would like. But I but I do think it's it's happening. Yeah, I think if if just on the, off the off the back of that, I think there's there's a there's a lot of great smart people working in working in you know marketing advertising and, and building brands and i think there are you know there's really good ways to go about it and there's really you know not so great ways to go about it and so i think it's you know building building trust and confidence and, and results coming off the back of it um so there's still it's still absolutely a job to be done but i think that that confidence and understanding uh i, I think of the impact of that, that marketing that good marketing and effective marketing has on on brand growth. yeah 100 connor what would you banish i think there's a like everyone is leaning in the same direction like you know everyone is going back towards brand but there are lots of people kind of arguing about the best way to do it or like you know kind of nitpicking about different things and but the general sentiment is in the same direction and i just would love it if everyone kind of realized that we were all talking about the same thing and just kind of pushed forward um, because because it's only going to discredit the industry um, to be kind of fighting amongst ourselves, and so it seems um, more practical to kind of lean in and champion each other and champion brand uh, for for the good of the industry and the good of brands um, globally. Uh, so that's what I would love to see. Totally, one hundred percent. Yeah, and it's not an exact science anyway, is it? So actually, there needs to be a bit more tolerance for for other people's you know ways of interpreting things. Totally. Uh, number three, we'll start with you on this one, Connor. Are there any books that you can recommend to our listeners? I I really love the book "Travels with Charlie in Search of America" by John Steinbeck. Um, you know, people are probably looking for marketing books here. Uh, if you haven't read Future Demand, definitely go read that. But also have a little break and read Travels with Charlie in Search of America by John Steinbeck. Brilliant. No, they don't have to be work-related at all. That's nice. In fact, it's amazing how many listeners get in touch and praise non-marketing books that come up that they've then tucked into 
you know, and thank thank a past guest a few months down the road. So no, that's great. Um, Matt, have you got any that you'd like to add? Yeah, I think for for, for me, uh, Shoe Dog, the Nike story by Phil Knight. I think that's a that's a really great read that I that I enjoyed. I think the the story of where it started from, how it was built, is yeah, Shoe Dog, Phil Knight. Great cool, book. great. Well, we'll link to we'll link to those. And then number four is we always dedicate every episode to someone, and we bestow or hospital pass that honor depending on your view to our guest or guests in this instance who have to give their reason why. Mine's fairly simple. I can. I would love to dedicate it to my mother. Perfect. Can we have a name? First name, maybe. Oh, her name's Victoria. Um, Victoria. She, yeah, she she passed away a couple of years ago, but an absolute legend. Perfect. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but that's a great dedication. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd probably like to. I'd like to dedicate this this episode to uh, to our amazing our amazing team at, at, at Tracksuit that's uh, in here. You know, working hard looking at this but then also you know also the, the the friends and families that support us around it my um my fiance natalie as well it is in there i think we're we're all good you know all consumed by by what we do on a, on a day-to-day basis and and realizing that there's a there's a whole lot of things outside of like outside of work that allow us to to do what we're doing and and be able to lean on each other at a team's families friends so uh that's why i'd like to dedicate this uh this episode to Perfect. Amazing. Well, this episode is very proudly dedicated to Victoria. It's also dedicated to the team at Tracksuit, to Matt's fiance Natalie, and to the collective friends and family that have enabled the success that, that you're enjoying now, and long may that continue. Uh, so as a final call to action, we will list and link to everything we've discussed, including Shoe Dog, Future Demand, Travels with Charlie in Search of America, We'll link to track suits, but how else can our listeners get more Connor and Matt? LinkedIn. I basically live there. You can DM <laughs> me on LinkedIn anytime. Yeah, tracksuit.com and then and then LinkedIn. We're uh, we're there. We're all the time, and uh, we're we're very we're very open and uh, and active on on LinkedIn. So that's a great great place to start. Perfect. Okay. Well, there'll be linked to both LinkedIn profiles to the track suits website and to uh, tracksuits company profile also uh, listen both of you thank you so much for your time today it's been a real pleasure i've enjoyed it hugely particularly liked cookie apocalypse because i've never heard of that and I've, <laughs> I've written it down and circled it countless times but thank you for talking us through tracksuits through your early days thank you for talking to us about velcro buttons uh, genius uh, and everything we've covered thank you giles really appreciate it it's been it's been a great time thanks giles Loved it. Great conversation. Let's do it again. Yes, cheers, pal. Thank you. Finally, thank you to everyone listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share and review the pod. Keep your questions and guest requests coming in. To get in touch, it's easy to find Gasp online. Or email the mouthful, that is call to action at gasp.agency.
Yeah! <laughs>